This year, Rachel Prouty made the transition from the world of education to the wacky universe of Missouri politics. And the Ferguson Democrat is trying to make a mark in her first legislative session. Prouty joins us for the latest edition of Politically Speaking, so let's hit the music. This is Politically Speaking, the longest-running episodic podcast about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that, that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in studio today, the state representative for the 73rd District. Yes. And our special guest today is? Rachel Prouty. Good afternoon or morning whenever you're listening to it. Hello, everyone. Good good day. Good day. Good day. Good night. <laughs> good morning. I'm really excited to have you on the program. Thank um, you. Um, we have a lot of issues to talk about, but I wanted you to give our listeners a sense of not only what your district covers. We've had Courtney Curtis on the show before, so he's explained the boundaries of the 73rd District, but also explain who is Rachel Prouty and how did you get involved in the wacky world of state state politics? It is wacky. So I um, I, I did. Courtney is um, my predecessor, so I have what I would call the airport area. So I have a slither of Normandy, um, most of Berkeley, about half of Ferguson, uh, all of Kenlock, a little Hazelwood, the entirety of the St. Louis Airport, um, a little bit of Bridgeton, half of St. Anne, all of Woodson Terrace, and all of Ed- Edmondson. Mm-hmm. So a lot of cities, a lot yes. of cities, not as many as Kevin Windham, Correct. who has like a thousand cities. Yes, in maybe his twenty-two, I believe. Yeah. So I am a um, educator by profession. I went to school in the South at Grambling for my undergraduate. Got my bachelor's in elementary ed. And right after I graduated from college with my bachelor's, I came home for maybe about a month before I started getting calls from East Baton Rouge Parish School District. So I graduated in spring of 06, which was the semester right after Hurricane Katrina. Um, They had gotten an influx of students and they wanted certified teachers to, you know, feel the need because, I mean, they were flooded with students. Um, No pun or entendre uh, intended. So I went. I packed up my my little case suitcase and and my 2000 Honda Accord and went on down to Louisiana and began my teaching career there. Um, I intended to eventually go and get my master's for um, being a school principal, but after teaching that year, I um, and I mean it was life changing. I decided instead to go and get my master's in mental health counseling from Southern University and A and M College at Baton Rouge. Um, did my internship in professional counseling at Dillard of New Orleans. Um, and after that experience, I decided to go back to Gremlin to pursue the Doctorate of Education in Developmental Education uh, with a concentration in student personnel services. So throughout that span of time, um, I became certified in Texas, Louisiana, Missouri, and now I'm certified in Illinois as well. Um, after finishing my, my doctoral coursework and I had taken my comprehensive examination, 
in 2017. So I was nearing the end and had to do my internship portion, which I did my internship for my doctorate here in St. Louis at Harris Stowe. I um, went to work at Riverview Gardens. Um, and just that experience, because I have the children who live in the Canfield area. So those children who live there would have fed into the middle school that I was a school counselor at. Um, sort of informed my decision to run and for what uh, I remember canvassing or when I was preparing to run as a candidate, they would always talk about having a stump speech. And I never had one because going to work every day, my platform would change a little bit. It was kind of contingent upon what happened at work that day. If I just felt like that was a good mirror reflection of the community. And it gave me an opportunity, especially being a, a teacher in a public school, afforded me the opportunity to, to really get to know what the needs of a community in a space was. Mm -hmm. And so that was the decision to uh, run for state rep. But let me go back a little bit. Before that, I, I decided to run for school board, actually. Mm -hmm. I'd filed to run for school board in Ferguson, Florida, and at that point they were in the midst of the lawsuit. All right, we just they just finished the lawsuit. And the lawsuit was over like the way we so it is the the way we have school board elections here is the bane of my political existence, mm -hmm. our existence in general, because out of the four states that I'm certified to teach in, this is the only state that has um, at large school board elections, right. which means me, you and my adult brother can all live in the same house. All of us can be school board members mm -hmm. because it's at large. And even though Ferguson Florissant has wildly different cities, wildly different Correct. demographics, both economically and racially, Correct. basically. But continue. Um, so they sued. I want to say they started the lawsuit in 2014. By the time it was filing time, they lost. They'd already lost the lawsuit. And it was saying that the way that we have school board elections in that space violates the Voting Rights Act. And so we were to change how we had school board elections. And so that's when the question started on what that change looks like. Do we have sub-districts? Uh, cumulative voting was was proposed. It was kind of left up to the school board to decide. The school board decided to appeal it right before, uh, right after filing. And so we were still having school. So even after having lost the, the lawsuit, we were still having at-large elections. Mm -hmm. Um and then I got really sick. So I have lupus and my kidneys began to fail again. And I withdrew from that. And I mean, my feelings were really, really hurt. Um, and it, it kind of opened my eyes in another way of how individuals with disabilities are often limited or excluded from availing themselves of the democratic process in this way. Um, but in about a year and a half, I was well enough and started to heal and, and just working again in the school system of form my decision to run for state representative. So it was kind of one of those things where the universe works in a mysterious way uh, because I'm still able to impact change in elementary and secondary settings, just in a different capacity. You won your race overwhelmingly yes. against two older candidates, yes. including one person who had been a municipal official, mm -hmm. another person, Lee Smith, who had run for Ferguson City Council and had run for state representative yes. the prior election and lost by a small margin. Yes. It does seem like there's a generational change in in the North County uh, state legislative sure. delegation. You're not the only, quote unquote, millennial, although millennial is a pretty wide span of time. Yes. But 
Is there anything to read in on that, that, that the North County is electing younger state representatives like yourself? Or is it just sure. just you're, you're just all running better candidates than the other the, the other campaigns, basically? I, um, we are a product of, of that space of the generation of voters. So that baby boomer generation and, and you and I have talked about how North County has the largest concentration of African-Americans in, in the state. Um, and in fact, the 14th senatorial district. I think all of the representatives in that space, uh, Maria may have just squeaked out of the millennial range because, of course, she's retiring back to the House. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Representative Chappelle Nadal. I think she still likes to be called senator. senator. I, I will, I will, I will yeah. still call her senator because senator is the higher than the rep. And I, I would, too. Uh, yeah. I just it's, it's different because she came you back to, to the you House. You have to stay state rep in a, in a news story, but if I saw her sure, walking sure. down the street, I would senator, say senator. Definitely. But continue. Um, but for the most part, even... Senator Williams is a millennial. Uh, Representative Walker is a millennial. Kevin, I'm going to have to Google that one. Generations a, a year, yeah, something like that. All right, the very t- he's on a chuckle it because he's like 25 it. or something. Yes, like he's that. the youngest one we have in our caucus. Um, but I think it's it's them taking ownership, like the voters, right? Taking ownership of this is the product we did this. This is the product of our upbringing. We did a good job with with these youth. And let's give them a chance to show what they can do. Um, when I was out canvassing, it was sort of that. It was that was what I heard. Um, I'm proud of you more than anything. And and they did. They took ownership. It was a, a real community feeling of this is what we produce in this community and in this space, um, in this overwhelmingly African American space. I think between us, one, two, there may be about eight or nine degrees amongst the four of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it does bring you a sense of pride in, in the community. You don't have to settle um, and, and no slight to, to these individuals, you know, these way paving individuals. But you don't have to settle for, you know, Uncle Wesley, the deacon from your church who just decided to run for something. You have some viable, you know, educated candidates who have experience, work experience, life experience in particular avenues that can serve and um, do the legwork. Mm-hmm. So I think it was that. I think, you know, and I can't say that we ran better or worse campaigns than anybody else. I think a big part of it is that in that space, those those black women saw in, in us ownership. Like we cultivated these candidates in their eyes. Well, let's talk about what you're doing now in the legislature because sure. you've really hit the ground running. Not only are you on a number of committees. You're the vice chairwoman of the urban, urban issues. issues, yes. issues. You've also introduced several bills, which I think they they come across as very reasonable and may have a chance to get through a very Republican legislature. Fingers crossed. Well, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> Some people may see it as unreasonable. But, for example, you, you, you proposed a bill regarding child support mm-hmm. and licenses that I, I think could have bipartisan support sure. because there's kind of this new wave within the Republicanism of, quote unquote, criminal justice reform. Um, So just explain what your bill does and kind of what was behind it. So in all 50 states, and there are federal dollars attached to this, um, in every every state, we take licenses for back child support. Um, And so with that said, Missouri would be the first at this point and only who are that we wouldn't do that. But my my reasoning behind that, and I've actually it was actually the governor himself that kind of sparked the idea. Um, he he'd made a comment that 
Um, I believe it was an interview with Elliot Davis was one of the first ones I saw, but I think he did maybe three or four where he was saying, you know, he he wanted someone to do something about that. And he's noticed at this point the economic impact of that, um, particularly when it came to people who drove trucks. And we were invited to the governor's mansion to sort of uh, be introduced to him as freshmen. And in our very brief conversation, we talked about workforce development. And with that said, that is I love workforce development. Um, my dissertation itself was uh, on the post-secondary choices of, of a group of students. And so we, we I, mean, I mean, the conversation was very brief, but it was substantial and he made mention of that again and I took it as a sign like maybe he's just kind of sitting this in my lap let me do some research on this so I'm seeking to repeal those uh, provisions except for the uh, what you would call them the hunting licenses or the those licenses you know you're not paying your child support you shouldn't be fishing you should be finding a way to get some resources to your kiddo but it seems counterintuitive to take uh, driver's license or so professional licenses from individuals who are behind on child support and strip their means of making money to pay child support. Um, and plus, there is no shortage of research that's saying the the main way, and I think the most official document I got from, from the Department of Health maybe, said that uh, about 70% of back child support is secured via wage interception or income tax rebate interception. Um, but further, we have a very negative view of family court, like the family court system and arguably is sort of messed up, whereby we are using our family court system as being punitive when it should be more of a resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not to say that it's perfect, but I don't think a child benefits from having a parent that's not able to make money or not able to come and see them because they can't drive or in jail, um, that's, you know, I, the money that it costs to prosecute these cases or to go after um, these individuals, I just don't see that as being a positive or a bonus. And, you know, just doing more and more research on the topic, I think the federal dollars attached to us taking licenses uh, for child support is about $4 million. So in my bill, and I'm I'm working on tweaking it, the individuals who lost their licenses, and I think we're at about 55000 um, would still have to pay re- reinstatement fees and applicable testing fees to get their licenses back on the driver's side and on the professional side. And so it would actually be a plus to the to the state to have them do that. But we want these people working. We want our employment rate in, in Missouri to be, you know, sustained and even improve. And I think this is a good way of, of doing that, especially when we're talking about criminal justice reform, um, court reform and, and things of the like. I, I think that this sounds eminently reasonable when you <laughs> explain it to me. But the issue of child support can be a very emotional sure. one. Like, for example, when Prosecutor Wesley Bell talked about child support mm-hmm. on his level, there was a huge outcry of people being like, why are you giving a break to people sure. that, that don't uh, pay their child support? I, I'm sure that there's going to be like 
the same emotional reaction when people see this bill? Have you heard any of that type of thing? Or has it been like when you when you explain it like that, they, they kind of understand? I, I'm interested to hear sure. about the response, basically. I, and it, it's been that. So when I filed the bill, and I, I do this purposely to sort of get that feedback. It's not just this is what I think, and since I'm pushing the button for 73, this is what it is. I actually post these things online. Like today I posted something about charter schools explicitly to get the feed, the community feedback. And it and it was that it was um, you're letting deadbeats off the hook. We're not cleaning their slate. They're still going to pay child support. The point is, is that we need them to have the resources to do that. At the end of the day, the child support order is not to, and I think that typically is what draws the argument because so many of us see that child support order as a punishment. You're not being punished. This is a resolve. This is a sort of resolution as to how we are going to maintain financial resources for the child. And at the end of the day, that is my interest, not so much as punishing someone and I just don't see how having an incarcerated parent gets money for the child. Now, I think it would be advantageous for the state to do that because, of course, if we're getting resources to the child, this is less uh, government programs that mm-hmm. they're on, right? Um, it may reduce the need for a SNAP or, you know, other other programs where if you're, you're you know, low on funds, you would have to access. Mm-hmm. And so if we can keep folks off the program or not even just off the need, to even pursue these programs, it would be of benefit to the state. I think it would be a benefit to the child. I don't I don't I can't think of how it's emotionally healthy for a child to know that their parent is being punished, especially um, punitively and through the court system. Have you has it been referred to a committee yet or are you waiting? For that Not to yet. Happen? I am making sure that and for this very reason that I'm crossing my T's and dotting my I's with the impacted um government agencies. So I spoke with DOR last week um, just to find out the numbers, how many people's license have, which is where I got the number from. I actually got it from DOR. Mm -hmm. I'll talk to DSS sometime uh, next week to figure out how we're going about it. I'll contact the other licensure agencies to make sure that the language in the bill is covered. So, you know, because the questions happen like, well, if I'm a lawyer or if I'm Mm self-employed, that was a good one. If I'm self-employed, how do you garnish my check? And it's making sure, well, you know, we can put liens on things that are able to be then sold or auctioned for money. I mean, we want to make sure, again, that financial resources are getting to the child because that is the intent of the child support order. The reason I ask that question is sometimes it's difficult for Democratic bills to be sure. sent to committee. This instance, though, especially since Governor Parson is interested in the issue, mm-hmm. I would also imagine Speaker Har would probably be receptive to it. And this could be something that actually moves through the process, especially if you can get Republican support around. Right, so I, sure. I, and I've been trying. And that's a, a phrase that I've learned since being in the House. I've been trying to whip those votes uh, <laughs> and explain it. And I, and I mean, the best practice I've had as an elected official in explaining myself and, and the public are, is certainly entitled to me explaining that is to be able to explain it to my colleagues. Um and therefore being able to explain to the public why I chose to do something or not. Um, I I appreciate those bills where we're going to fight. And 
It is important to show my opposition to it. However, I'm from a district where there was a lot of fighting going on. I need to bring something back home to the 73rd district besides bumps and bruises from the fight, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. let's talk about something that I think is going to cause some bumps and bruise, bruises, and that's, char- that's <laughs> charter schools that actually appeared before a committee that you're on, if I'm not mistaken. It's basically to expand charter schools mm-hmm. in... Mm-hmm. The first tenet of it that we, we talked about at length is that right now... Um, charters would have to go through local school boards, elected school boards, to secure property from them. Okay. Um, and school boards can choose or not to sell them. And I think that was one of the things that are is thwarting um, charter schools from expanding is having an actual physical location um, to have their school. So a part of the bill says that they can't say no to a charter school on the grounds that there's a that your charter school, so they can't just say, "Well, we don't, we don't want charter schools." No, um, right now they 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 can't. Yeah, but for all intents and purposes, especially in St. Louis County, mm-hmm. no school board is going to oh, sell no, sell, a, sell a building to none. a charter school. And and I mean, especially again, the way we're having at large elections. So I'm gonna get to that portion as well. The bill intends to say that they can no longer do that. If they do, for whatever reason, say that a charter school can in, inhabit a building or purchase a building, that they can appeal it to some charter school board, mm-hmm. um, amongst other things. And so with that, of course, that would lend itself to the expansion because I don't see the charter school board denying uh, the expansion. The expansion, schools. right, because you're the charter school board. Mm-hmm. Um, my issue with that uh, simply is I don't, like the idea of, and this is my issue with charter schools, and I've worked in charter schools. I've taught in New Orleans. And and I, this and, may seem like an odd question. Sure, sure. Uh, well, explain what a charter school is for people who sure. don't understand, and, what, and, and, and then and explain that's, your That's opinion going on to it. be very nuanced, because when you hear charter schools, you actually hear it in a partisan way, um, or that unions are the reason that charter schools aren't this, that, and the other. The truth of the matter is, is that it, it was a union president's ideation and conceptualization, and I want to say it was AFT. So charter schools are, um, are were intended to be schools within the public schools. So these are public schools that offer other sort of programs that maybe the traditional public school wouldn't. And they're basically run by a third party other than the school Correct. administration. Correct. Most of them, if not all of them, are some kind of private entity, they have a sponsor that would be a public entity like Mizzou. Yeah, exactly. Um, SLU would be a sponsor, but not the person or the entity running it. I think that they were created in St. Louis City, for example, Mm. because there are a large amount of people in the city that are uncomfortable sending their kids to SLPS. And I think that the powers that be there wanted to create an alternative ecosystem to keep people in there. Without question. So here's a here's an interesting little tidbit. Um, I became a school counselor in 2012 in New Orleans. And my first uh, in New Orleans, even then, was about 80 percent charter. Mm-hmm. Um Dr. Adams was actually my first superintendent as a school counselor in what was called Recovery School District. Yeah. The deal in New Orleans was they were going to recover these schools, these failing schools. And once they got back on good footing and good standing, they would turn them back over to Orleans Parish. 
that didn't happen. <laughs> and there's still charter schools, I imagine. I think at this point they may be at 100% charter. And don't quote me on that, but definitely over 90% charter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there was no turnover. The, uh, another issue, and I actually mentioned it, and they were like, well, we can add it to the bill as an amendment. There was nothing in New Orleans that stopped failing charters from just rebranding themselves as a new charter name and continuing to fail students. And so, and, and this isn't to say that all charter schools fail students. There are some charter no, schools that are, are doing. No, there are doing, a lot of good ones. Right. So I, I mean, especially, and in, in this, I guess, is the shade throw when you can be ultra selective with your students. And that's, a, that's another show in and of itself. But my major issue with it, because, of course, and this goes back to where I sort of put a pin in it, in Ferguson Florissant um, and the redistricting and closing of schools and the impact that has on the community at large, the lack of local oversight. I'm just not a fan of outside companies coming in from any and everywhere, any another, any state or what have you, and getting tax, taxpayers' dollars without being accountable to all the taxpayers in a particular school district. Um, so if these taxpaying board, you know, I mean, even though I'm no fan of at-large school districts, at least they're taxpayers. And if they say no, I don't think you should be able to go to some board somewhere that someone who doesn't live in your community appointed, I think it's the governor who appoints these individuals, mm-hmm. can tell you you have to sell a building that your taxpayers paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that oversight. Now, I will say that I'm not moved by the well, charter schools take money from public school programs. That doesn't move me because here's the thing. Children don't come to school to keep us employed, and it is not the responsibility of any child to secure funding for a failing school. Mm-hmm. That is not their purpose. That's not their responsibility. And instead of makes, cause, so that will never be a point that moves me. What mm-hmm. does move me is the fact that these people, you know, aren't taxpayers. And you don't get to take tax dollars and do what you feel without that level of accountability, the lack of accountability. And until they structure it or make a bill that insists on the accountability, it's a no. So the response to that within this particular bill was, well, we'll get some parents and we'll have community support. And so my question was, well, what is community support? Because for me, especially when you're talking about education, and I think this is through the, the doctoral process, was I need a number. Quantify community support, mm-hmm. right? What does community, do you get 50 parents? And they kind of skirted that. Is 50 economically feasible? Whereas we would have uh, statistical improvements. Is it practical? So that's that statistical significance. And I mean, and this is me being a nerd, but the statistical significance mm-hmm. and the practical significance. Is it practical to have a charter school for 50 kids in a district that serves 12,000? No. Right. No. The answer. That the is answer no. Is, is no. And so it's not it's it's a, you know, a huge waste of money. And I would consider myself, especially when it comes to educational spending, a tad bit right of center mm-hmm. because you can throw money at a bad formula or a bad program. No matter how much money you spend, it's still bad. You're wasting money. Right. Justify a change. 
and they have not. And so for this particular bill, I will be voting no. Before we get into clean Missouri, sure. which is the, the rabbit hole that we all love to dive in, yes. I want to talk about the other <laughs> local control issue, and that's city-county merger. First of all, what's your opinion of the Better Together plan? I think that there's been a historical opposition among African-American sure. political leaders to city-county merger because there's a fear that creating one large voting jurisdiction with the city mm-hmm. county will create a 65-70% white voting jurisdiction, sure. which would make it difficult but not impossible for people to win, um, mayorship, prosecutor, mm-hmm. assessor. What's your opinion of it? Um, I, I, I'll be clear and blunt. I am opposed to it um, for, for the reasons you, you, you've named. Um, moreover, the, the state voting part just gra- is absurd to me. Um, just like, and, and I'll say, just like it was absurd to me when the people of St. Louis City voted to raise their minimum wage for the state to come in and change, that was absurd to me. You know, this these go back to the issues of local control. I wouldn't want anyone else voting on things that impact me directly where I pay taxes. Let's, it just goes back to that that issue. I don't even know where to start with some of the, the shenanigans in the Better Together proposal. It's It's... You could just throw it in the trash, in my opinion. Thought it was, you know, a, a noble attempt, but foolishness. The fact that it's being taken statewide right. means it could fail in the city and the county, but if it passes everywhere That's else, right. it could be implemented to 1.3 million people. That's right. And the argument that the Better Together people are putting forward um, is coming from this sort of perspective from Will Ross, who was mm-hmm. on the Better Together Task Force. I'm going to play a clip right now. My preference is to have a city-county vote. That is my preference. But we had to look at the structure and ask, what could we achieve? Uh, and if we're talking about amending, a uh, creating a new set of governance, we looked at the uh, requirements at a, from a city-county, uh, statewide, uh, city-county local vote and realized that we would actually have to have a statewide vote in order to have a amend the statewide constitution. And so I had to come to the conclusion that we couldn't achieve what I wanted to do unless we had a statewide vote. What they're alluding to Mm -hmm. is the fact that if they want to consolidate all the police departments into one police department and consolidate all the municipal courts into one municipal court, it's their view that they need a constitutional amendment for that and therefore a statewide vote is needed. There's a visceral philosophical Mm -hmm. argument about whether people from outside St. Louis should be deciding what our government looks like. And specifically, when I spoke of shenanigans and foolishness in the proposal, excellent clip, I was speaking specifically of that to achieve what I wanted to, what you wanted to achieve, sir. It's 1.3 million of us. And we, by and large, from what I'm seeing, are opposed to this. Um, Why would someone in Cole County have an opinion on whether or not uh, I should consolidate a police force where they don't live. Um, same conceptualization with the charter school thing. You is the taxation and representation piece. And as a person living in a de- democratic society, that is everything. That is the most important thing to me is that for my work and effort and money that I have a say that's that's equal and relevant to the area that I live in. This is not that. And so this is why you're getting that that pushback, I think, because I think a lot of us and I'm one of those people see it as disrespectful almost mm-hmm. as if we don't know what's in the best interest for us is a problem to me. They contend that the way St. Louis is structured governmentally 
is totally messed up, mm -hmm. too many local governments, too much competition, too many police departments, too many, too much layers of government, basically. I mean, what would you say to that? Because, again, everyday people may agree with that sure. point, and they may not like everything in this plan, but may agree with the concept and may say, you know, this is going to be our only opportunity to do something about the, the governance of the region. What would you say to that? Sure. And, and that was a point I actually talked with with uh, Representative Wyndham about, you know, how folks who are proponents of it will even reference the Ferguson Commission report. Oh, this was one of the recommendations in that. But let's be clear again. Let's leave that up to the municipal because there are some municipalities who have within themselves voted to consolidate police force. We have what is that? The North County North Police County Cooperative. Yes. Uh, cool Valley utilizes Normandy. Um, Kenlock uses St. Louis County. And so these are individuals who were able to amongst themselves in their own local government choose to merge or not with other police departments. And so it's not that these people are, in, are incompetent. These are people who live here who are choosing what to do with their tax dollars or not. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's going to be any state legislative response? I know that there's been competing constitutional amendments mm -hmm. proposed. I think Lakeisha Bosley yes. did something that basically is going to say no plan can be done without the city and county voting for it. Mm -hmm. But I'm getting a sense that there are some Republicans that are on board with this plan. Obviously, Rex Singfeld is a big financial sure, backer, both sure. of this idea and also of Republicans and some Democrats. There could be some legislators on the Republican side that just look at, again, the, the government of St. Louis and think there needs this to be a big mess. change. Yeah. And they may block anything to pre prevent it. What are you kind of sensing on what's going to happen from the legislative front? I, I honestly, you know, where I, I can see that as a, a definite possibility, especially when you have a donor. And, and you and I have talked about just the freedom. And I've, I was lucky to have one of those races in which I didn't get this mass amount of support because of where I live um, and the fact that it was three African-Americans and it was safely assumed that it was going to be a Democratic seat. On the flip side of that, that affords me a lot of freedom to represent the interest of my people, my, my people. And by my people, I mean my constituents um, in a way that's honest and nonpartisan and not influenced by, you know, the donations. I support Representative Bosley's bill um, and, and will likely co-sponsor it. Um, but what I'm getting is, and again, I can't overstate how local control seems to be a be rooted in my colleagues from a lot across the aisle mm -hmm. um by and large they understand that they see the importance of it they agree with it so i'm hoping that that they will continue for to support um that effort by Representative Bosley. So let's move on to the fun part, the clean Missouri part. Let's, we're going to split this into two sections. Sure. Let's talk about the Sunshine Law aspect, and then let's talk about redistricting. Because okay. the Sunshine Law part came up on the floor last yes. week. Um, it was a legislation from Representative Shamed Dogan that actually the underlying bill was aimed at kind of, I guess, restricting lobbying on a local level, sure. trying to curtail campaign uh, contributions at certain levels. And then there was this thing or this amendment from Representative Nick Schroer. Uh, thing is, is a good, uh, in my opinion, thing is a good. Uh, about the Sunshine Law, <laughs> which we talked about on a show with Caleb Rowden. Um, you voted for this, but my understanding yes. is 
you're not really enamored with the Sunshine Law part, right. but you like the underlying bill, and you're hoping that the Sunshine Law part either gets taken out or changed to more of your liking. Is that basically your, your view sure. on this? Um, I did. I did vote for Representative Dogan's bill because the bill was, was good. And I'm, now, I actually stood up and inquired of the gentleman and said, look, I realize and recognize and will go on record of saying that this, this is petty. It was proposed with petty intent. However, it is not wrong. Um, and within my passion, actually stated that the amendment was whack. <laughs> it's Schroer's it, amendment, you mean? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, the the sunshine uh, circumvention amendment is. And you actually terrible. used the word whack. I did with a strong H. It's more like whack. Oh my. Apparently, but I mean, and and, and it and it is. I'll stand on that one. It it is whack. Um, but I, I I'm tired of fighting the tenants of clean. Look, I'm no supporter of clean, and it wasn't the ethics part. It was the redistricting part that I'm I'm strongly side eyeing. I don't want to keep having the and it's and it is petty. I don't want to have these chest beating petty battles on the floor. Here's the thing: within the Sunshine Law, we can redact identifying information. This does not have to be something that we have to legislate uh, further, right? Clean does not change or did not change that portion. No, and I think we need to explain what that actually did because I think there's been some misconceptions. There has been a controversy for about a decade about whether state legislative emails are open records. Right. Clean Missouri basically ended that controversy. Sure, right. They are open records. There is nothing in Clean Missouri that says you they are unrestricted. That's right. You know, if you need to pass statutes, for example, saying I as a reporter can't get any of your emails from ordinary constituents, you could do that. Right. And as I've said on other shows, I honestly don't care if you do that. Sure. But I think that the thing that I obviously and I said this on uh, Senator Rowden's show, journalists are not unbiased on this issue. We tend to advocate to be able to get public documents mm-hmm. out of people mm-hmm. and out of legislators, out of governmental bodies. We have to acknowledge that, and I'll acknowledge that right here. It's the part that kind of restricts the deliberate decision-making right. process, not only for the legislature, but for any governmental that's body. Right. And I think that's caused a lot of alarm. And I, I, I would be surprised if that made it through the process, because it could run to a lot of opposition in the Senate, too. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and as I understand it, it, it absolutely will. I just didn't want the bill to die because here's the thing. And I I, I strongly oppose the sunshine circumvention portion of it. But the bill is absolutely necessary and called for it. Look, clean is constitutional, whereas this can be amended. It can be taken out. If it happens to pass and get signed into law, I next session can actually propose a bill to take it out. The bill itself is solid. So let's say school boards, for example, school board members. And I know I said a lot about school, but goodness gracious, I'm a teacher and that's what I talk that's about. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'm, I'm going to pick on the school boards because that's tens of millions of dollars that are under these elected officials control. They assign contracts and they also get lobbied. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone lobbies a school board member and says, hey, we're going to pay for your whole family to go to Disney World. I just need you to award me this contract as it sits because Article three of the state's constitution does not impact them. Mm -hmm. Then they can do that. Like today, this can happen. If someone Ferguson Florence and not saying that this happened. I'm also not saying that it didn't that if someone went to our board members particular and all they need is four 
right? Mm -hmm. To say, hey, we're going to do X, Y, and Z, and we can promise you this. If they were lobbied to redistrict our school district, nothing stops them from doing that Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. I need that to come to a close Mm -hmm. immediate. Like, this needs to take place as soon as we can get it. Further, I don't see why or how anybody who supported clean besides, and again, this isn't the, the freedom of information part. It's the ethics part because some people were arguing that this takes control from, from locals to put these sort of rules on themselves. I don't trust the police to police the police. I certainly don't trust politicians to police themselves either. Well, let's talk about the part that was the reason you were opposed to clean Missouri. Sure. And that's the redistricting yes. part. Um, I, I kind of pose this uh, to House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid, who you're going to hear from in a minute. Mm-hmm. But when I see people like Senator slash Representatives, uh, Maria <laughs> Chappelle Nadal, and Lacey Clay on the same side of the issue, and everybody knows who have followed their careers that they hate each other, when they both oppose yeah. Clean Missouri, my sense is this is pretty deep opposition sure. among the black political community. Sure. And I think what it comes down to is this, and I think we just got to be blunt about it. I think that there's a segment of the Democratic Party that does not like minority-majority districts. Right. They don't like the idea of basically packing a lot of African-Americans mm-hmm. into a district, mm-hmm. which would mean that African-American legislators would be elected, but surrounding areas that are more Republican – are Republican. I mean, that I think is the conflict. But I think the reality is, especially in St. Louis, maybe not in Kansas City, but in St. Louis, without these, without districts that have a majority African-American population, you would not have African-Americans elected. Your your district, for example, sure. in 2012, when Courtney Curtis ran against Doug Clemens, mm-hmm. I initially thought, and Courtney can uh, attest to this, I initially thought Courtney would be the underdog in that race because Doug had run before. He only lost by like 10 votes. And then once I found out it was a majority African-American district after the fact, I was like, well, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's probably why he won. Because it wasn't that it wasn't a landslide victory. That's right. If it had been 50-50, Doug Clevins would have won that race most likely. So this and he had all the support. He had the, the organized labor support. I mean, you're absolutely right. Um, and I'll say this, and I, I did listen to, um, I don't know, it's Recorder, right? It's Recorder Butler. Because I, I say collectors because we don't vote for that in St. Louis County, and that that's another show as well. <laughs> but I listened to, to your podcast where he mentioned having been in a redistricting situation, and, and I, I don't want to say I took offense to it. I was taken aback and kind of chuckled at him saying, you know, something about the new guys, the logical fallacy of I'm being disagreed with. And so they don't understand That's That has to be what that is. But to that point, um, you said Senator Nadal didn't agree with clean or oppose clean. Uh, Congressman Clay, uh, Courtney, who came into the legislature with uh, recorder Butler and legendary state representative Elbert Walton also opposed clean. And those are individuals who aren't new to this by a long shot. And he and Courtney are the ones who spent the least time in the legislature. All of those individuals have, too, been a part of a redistricting process and still oppose clean. So it's not a, oh, you all are new. And since you didn't go through a redistricting process, you don't understand. It's I live in St. Louis County and I know that you can draw my district in either direction, particularly more towards St. Anne. And the issue isn't whether or not it'll be a Democrat seat. It is will we have 
representation, because here's the thing. I'm not really interested in being and I'm doing air quotes because you all can't see it. (laughs) I'm not interested in being a good Democrat. I'm interested in being a good state representative. And that's with the understanding that everybody in my district isn't a Democrat. But further, the Democrat agenda and the black agenda aren't always congruent. They're not always in alignment and certainly aren't always the same. And in some some areas, this disenchantment. And again, we can see it within school districts. It occurs and it is important to have those those stratified voices, the the dynamic there. If we're the party that we are saying we are, I can see how the potential of of clean Missouri helps Democrats. What I don't see is how it helps black Democrats. And that's going to be the next clip from House Minority Leader Crystal Clay. Sure. Because what I was talking about a bit more specifically is there's language in clean Missouri that's aimed at protecting communities of color, minority, majority districts, however you want to phrase it. And the question that I've been asking is, is that language going to prevent the demographer from taking, let's say, a 60 percent black district and then lowering that percentage to 52, 51 percentage where a white candidate could conceivably win? This is what House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid of Springfield had to say to basically that question. I I think that you are right in that and and some folks who are saying this in that it may decrease from that 60 to 50. It will also increase places like Springfield, you know, from a 25 to a 35, you know, and so that that equity piece, the way that I read the language is there. Does it make it so that maybe a district that has been primarily by um, with a black elected official there a little bit harder? I don't know. I don't live there. I can't really speak to the culture and of those places. And maybe up to courts to decide what the right, threshold exactly. is. Right, um, exactly. But at the same time, I do believe that it will increase chances in more places than we currently have. Um, you know, this year, the Democratic Caucus has more uh, minority members in our leadership team than it ever has before, which is very exciting for us. And, um, you know, so we are going to be looking at this very closely. As I said, we don't have the changes that the Republicans want to put forward. Um, and with many members of our caucus not necessarily being in supportive of CLEAN, um, you know, it's going to be a, a continuous conversation for us. Um, but as I've said before, and I will continue to say, going against the will of the voters is not something that I am going to be screaming from the rooftops to say to do. Um, we're going to be working to make sure that people's voices are heard and that our constituents, you know, what they voted for is what they get. I'm really curious, and I, I almost want to ask on Monday, where did we get 20 to 30 percent? of African-American representation in any particular spot anywhere in Springfield when the black population of Springfield is about three and a half percent. You can have, and that includes children, you can have every black person. We can give 13-year-olds the right to vote in Springfield. I don't see how even if every one of them voted, they would be able to amass a seat in Springfield. That to me is, is kind of I don't want to say silly because I don't want to be offensive, but they don't have the population in Springfield for that to increase where I'm to even see that vision in Springfield to imagine what that district would have to look like to have that many African-Americans. For an African-American to win a district in Springfield, I can't even conceptualize. I don't I don't think it's a thing. Um, So I'm going to wholeheartedly disagree with floor leader Quaid on it's going to uh, bring up the percentage of African-Americans in in Springfield 
because Springfield in and of itself only has about three and a half percent. And you're looking at the census figures right That's now right. or something like that That's on, right. on your phone. I just want to make sure. Yeah, that I had to actually, I, I knew that the African-American population in that space was was quite low, um, but wanted to make sure. I didn't realize that it was single digit percentage low. And I, I posed this question to Senator Rowden. I understand where this angst is coming from, both from the Republican side mm-hmm. and from representatives like you. But the, the fact of the matter is this has to go up for another vote. I think there's going to be kind of an intense push to keep what's in place now from the people that supported clean, both the monetary and also the organizational support. Sure. So what's to say that you, you put this up for a vote and it just gets reaffirmed? Like, how do you like make sure that this isn't just kind of a philosophical exercise? And if you really don't like this, you actually change it, basically. Sure. If And I'll, I'll be transparent. In the event that the redistricting part comes up, I am going to, if they say, well, vote on repealing the redistricting part, I'm going to. And that's specifically why. Um, first of all, and without question, Clean's promotion focused and centered on the ethics portion of it. And this isn't to say that the, the voters are incompetent in X, Y, Z. It is simply because when you ask anybody, and this is including the people from Clean, and I have examples I can cite the night at Normandy Township where the Clean folks came in and explained it. I can actually get other people to say when you've asked the Clean folks about the redistricting portion, it was skirted. It was almost circumvented and depending, it, it doesn't, even with amongst the supporters, when you ask them about the redistricting, you will get a different answer depending on who you ask and when. We don't know what the redistricting is going to look like. And that, to me, is a problem. But also, when we're talking, I mentioned black districts, but the definition of minority district, right? This can be, I speak a different language. What I put on the census that day, um, women, I believe. And so it's not just about the racial dynamic. It's a whole bunch of other other issues Mm -hmm. within there. And so let's be clear. And and I still maintain this. It has nothing to do with the the racial aspect, which is which is very important. For me, it's more of a Democrat Republican thing in as much. I just I, I don't see how I could support it. Like, I'm all about the ethics part, the redistricting part. And to me, for so many questions and not to know what that looks like is enough. These will be issues we'll be following for a long time. And I want to thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. We'll have you back great. very thank soon. You. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on, on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. I know you're on Twitter, but I have to say your Facebook page is probably <laughs> the more robust sure. conversation part. So where could people find you on either Twitter or Facebook? Sure. Actually, if you type in either, um, and it's like that on purpose uh, because people misspell my first name. I actually get that in the house. Do you go by RC or do you go by Rachel? People omit the Y. So on all social media mediums, my uh, handle is R-C-P-R-O-U-D-I-E. Um, and that's because my name is spelled R-A-Y-C-H-E-L. Mm-hmm. And if you people forget the Y. And so I just did my initials, R.C. Proudy, on all social media mediums. It will pop up or you can type in State Representative Rachel Proudy and it will take you to my um, campaign page. Do it. Very, your, your, your Facebook pages are the best. <laughs> Until next time, so long.
cash money records taking over for the 99 in the 2000s. Girl, you're working with some bad game. You're sad game. Make it